Welcome to Into Security, Info Security Magazine's podcast. Hello, welcome to episode three of Into Security, the Info Security Magazine podcast. I'm Dan Raywood, contributing editor of Info Security Magazine. And I'm Michael Hill, acting editor. Delighted you could join us for this episode of our podcast series, uh, sponsored by Akamai, providers of intelligent threat protection that comes with over 300 security researchers. Learn more at Akamai, that's A-K-A-M-A-I, dot com slash security, Akamai. Intelligent security starts at the edge. So, as usual, we're going to kick things off with a look back at some of the top news stories the last week or so. An interesting one here, uh, a piece of research that was carried out by Digital Shadows. Digital Shadows are obviously specialists in risk um, protection. And they've actually released some findings to show there's a 50% increase in exposed data in just one year. Um, So they carried out some research the year before. um, They've noticed there's been a jump of more than 750 million files since they carried out the same piece of research a a year ago. Uh, Very interesting, actually. Um, They've actually come out and said that misconfiguration of commonly commonly used file storage technologies was largely to blame for for most of the exposure. Um, They went into a bit more detail about that. Uh, they actually said that almost half of the files were exposed via the uh, server message block protocol, whilst other technologies such as FTP services, about 20% of, of the data exposed, rsync 16%, Amazon S3 buckets 8%, and network storage devices 3%, uh, were also cited as other sources of exposure. Um, we actually spoke to Harrison uh, Van Riper, who is a uh, Photon Research Analyst at Digital Shadows. And he said that it was surprising to see such a large increase in such a short amount of time, indicating that the issue of inadvertent data exposure is not one to be taken lightly. Uh, very interesting with this one, it seems that you know not only a large uh, amount of files exposed in, in a short amount of time, but it, it seems a lot of it is coming down to inadvertent uh, data exposure. Um, Dan, interesting yeah. one to, to see this week. Yeah, it, it's like you say, inadvertent. It's we don't read so much about people. Well, no one really deliberately loses data. Well, there have been a few instances in the past, obviously, but um, yeah, people accidentally losing data. But this this is less about losing USB sticks and um, accidentally emailing things or posting things. This is actually about misconfiguration and file storage, which I guess that sort of thing is now quite prevalent, really. A lot of people are using uh, cloud services and FTP services, but actually, it comes down to how secure that technology is. Mm, and just yeah, one one last key point. I mean, the the type of data that Digital Shadows actually found to be being exposed was quite you know quite quite serious really, including things like um, passport details, bank records, medical and business information, which obviously, as Digital Shadows pointed out, it opened organisations and individuals uh, up to risks of you know not only GDPR punishments and, and targeted business compromise, but identity theft and uh, ransomware attacks. So certainly an interesting piece of research to see. Yeah. Well, next story we're going to pick up then, it's about CVE 2019-07-08, which uh, obviously rolls off the tongue. So they gave it the code name of Blue Keep. Um, 
This has been rolling around for the last few weeks, really, and essentially this is a vulnerability in Microsoft's remote desktop protocol that can lead to robust, wormable exploits. Um, so we've got quite a lot of commentary here from various people across the industry, but uh, this is from Migo Kadem from Sentinel One. He explained that Bluekeep can exploit the RDP protocol that is used for sharing files between devices, and it can damage legacy devices like XP and uh, Windows XP and Windows. 2008. Now the situation there, of course, is that that um, the the WannaCry bug of just over two years ago uh, was spread pretty quickly through SMB protocols, and because the patch was issued uh, for uh, Windows uh, updates, uh, the, the Windows operating systems that they're not currently supporting were were, were left un uh, left affected. So Microsoft rolled out a patch for XP uh, the following day, but um, after the the ransomware had hit. But what's quite interesting about this one is that Rob Graham from Murata Security, he, he did a scan and found one million devices on the public internet that are vulnerable to this bug. He said when the worm hits, it will likely compromise those million devices. Uh, however, what we are seeing, Fry, uh, Kevin Beaumont, uh, researcher, he said he's been tracking it through uh, throughout May. And back on the 23rd, so just over a week ago from when we are recording, he said that low levels of scanning have, have not really seen much. And also on the 30th, a week later, he said there's still no public remote code execution exploit and levels of scanning have died down over the last few days. So this could be kind of one that's maybe going to hang around for a bit, actually, and maybe not really deliver, if you kind of use that word. But what we are seeing is, for example, uh, Microsoft issued the patch back on the 14th of May and recommended install updates for the vulnerability and disable uh, remote, de remote desktop services if they're not required. Uh, Michael, you'll remember the WannaCry story a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. Everything went slightly haywire. I wonder if businesses are picking things up since then. Yeah, we Interesting to see how this one goes. I think, like you mentioned there, this this one could drag on for a while. Uh, so we'll keep an eye on it, and maybe we'll be talking about it in uh, well, in a future podcast. Um, another piece of in well, a couple of pieces of interesting re research uh, around the the kind of theme of of, of um, risks that staffs are putting their members of staff are putting their organisation at. Um, the first kind of half of it uh, was a report by Encipher. Uh, they actually found that seventy one percent of the UK C suite would be willing to cover up a data breach if it meant they could escape GDPR fines. Um, that was compared to 57% of managers and, and directors. Um, the, the survey that they carried out also found that while investment in employee training was second to investment in technology, IT uh, leaders still find they lack support from the board and the wider C-suite. Um, interesting findings there. Went a bit further as well. Um, uh, a report by uh, DeepSource um, they found that half of office employees would be willing to sell corporate information to people outside of their organisation. Uh, in a company announcement, they said that £1,000 would be enough to tempt 25% of employees to give away company information. Uh, shockingly, 5% would give it away for free, they claimed. Um, uh, amazing stuff. Um, this was in a report they released which uh, they titled, What is the Price of uh, Loyalty? Uh, revealed how 10% of respondents would also sell intellectual property such as product specifications, product code and, and patents for £250 or less. Uh, the findings also revealed that one in five of respondents in graduate level roles admitted they were paid to source the information with 29% of 16 to 24 year olds reporting they had been approached by someone they didn't know to take it. Uh, that, 
amazing, really. I mean, on the one hand, I was so surprised to see it, but I guess on the other hand, maybe not so much. I mean, I guess a thousand pounds is a lot, lot is a lot of money to 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 anyone. Or, but you know, the idea of selling company data was a bit of a shock to see. But mm. but there we are. Um, yeah, interesting piece of piece of research there. Yeah, I think it's interesting that people would would sell out an employer. I guess you you've got levels of people. You know, if they need the money, what, what are people prepared to do? But I think the, uh, the situation of people giving it away for free is quite interesting because then you think, well, what what's in it for anyone? Obviously, it's down the company or it harms harms them because they're effectively. Uh, committing a crime, I suppose, and also you know that they, they, they could, if they get found out, which is possible, then uh, then they're going to lose their job. And I just I don't quite get what it's in it for anyone, unless it's a kind of a political thing. But why work for the company in the first place? It, it's a very a very personal thing for someone to do that, and quite an interesting choice. So who knows? Well, we're going to pick up our last story then. This is one we picked up uh, on Info Security this week. And, of course, this month we marked the first year since the GDPR deadline. Uh, that was May 25th, 2018. Uh, we did do a webinar, actually, uh, on that, which you can listen to, which um, covered some of the uh, the key points. But one of the general consensus was of the first year, nothing's really changed yet. So uh, uh, there's a little summary of the webinar for you, but hopefully there's some really good takeaways in that. But um, this week we covered um, the PwC uh, Privacy and Security Enforcement Tracker results. Uh, which found that monetary penalties issued to UK organisations for breaching data protection laws over the course of 2018, that's the calendar year, totaled more than 6.5 million. Now that's more than 2 million more than the previous year. So actually the number of, uh, the amount of money they've almost collected in, as it were, has actually increased. However, the number of enforcements they've actually issued have dropped from 91 in 2017 down to 67 in 2018. So... We talked to a few people about this, a couple of um, data protection uh, specialists. And Emma Loveday-Hilt, she's from Pretties, she said uh, this is likely to be the due to the fact that the ICO has been busy dealing with the backlog of, backlog of complaints and issues brought to their attention since the introduction of the GDPR and also the 2018 New Data Protection Act. Um, data DPO Steve Wright, um, he said, uh, he liked an example of when he was working for a major retailer. He said uh, the number of subject access requests, complaints and new rights requests had gone from 250 a year to 1,800 within six months. That's after the GDPR uh, deadline had kicked in. He said that presented us with a huge challenge in cost. The amount of planning, process improvement, recruitment and training was nothing short of a huge military style exercise. Uh, they were actually prepared in that job, but I wonder how many actually weren't uh, actually prepared and while we haven't seen that many fines yet it does seem that even though that the number went up by two million the general consensus from the GDPR work we were doing at the end and the mid sort of mid-May as sort of marking the first year it's just that in the next year we're going to see a lot more activity so uh, that was a heck of a run-up to last year wasn't it May <laughs> last year with all the stuff we were doing but this year felt like a little bit of a flop it didn't seem like we had a lot to talk about really yeah absolutely It'd be interesting to see what happens over the next 12 months with regards to gdpr compliance and, and fines or not fines uh, i don't think we've seen anything like we expected to um but yeah we'll see what happens um okay so that's a roundup of our top news stories of the last week or so uh now we're going to take a few minutes pause to hear a few words from our sponsor this year we've taken a month-by-month -month journey diving deeper into the stories behind the stories of 2018 from that record-breaking February attack to threats like credential stuffing and ever-present phishing attempts. 
These all remain critical pieces to the security landscape we face as we look ahead to 2019. And looking ahead is exactly what we'll be doing, evolving with threats as threats evolve. Okay, some great words there from our sponsor today, Akamai. Okay, now we're gonna take a quick look at a few uh, funny or ironic or downright outrageous stories that we've come across recently that we thought you'd like to hear a bit about. Um, one of them uh, was a story widely covered by various media publications and it regarded a laptop that had been infected with six of the most dangerous computer viruses in history uh, that was actually sold at auction um, for the amount of, well, just over $1.3 million. Um, it was a 2008 Samsung NC10 laptop uh, running Windows XP, as far as I'm aware, so it was 11 years old. Um, the virus-infected laptop was an art installation called The Persistence of Chaos by artist uh, uh, Guo O Dong. Um, a website promoting the piece said that Dong is a contemporary internet artist whose work critiques modern-day online culture. The Persistence of Chaos was created as a collaboration between the artist and cybersecurity company Deep Instinct, which provided the malware and technical expertise to execute the work in a safe environment. Um, it seems the buyer of the persistence of chaos is anonymous. Uh, let's just hope they don't intend on putting the machine to malicious use with it being uh, well so well armed with so many computer viruses. Uh, strange thing to come across, Dan. Yeah, I'm just looking at the BBC story on this actually, which was published while the auction was taking place at Kitman on the 22nd of May. And they actually listed the six strains of malware, which included WannaCry, mentioned that earlier. Um, Dark Tequila, I've never heard of. Black Energy, I think this is one that knocked out Ukraine's power grid. And there's also I Love You, which would those of you can remember from the year 2000, probably the first major computer bug. But this is a great comment here from Kevin Beaumont. There he is again. Uh, if you want to save a million dollars, you could connect a laptop to the internet without antivirus software and security patches and leave it a few days for a similar infestation. Uh, great point there by Kevin, actually. Yeah, in a way, art is, uh, is open to the interpretation and um, you can... You know, I always sort of believe if you've done something original, it can considered an art to rip someone off. Probably isn't art, but uh, yeah, it, it's quite an interesting idea. Um, maybe a bit of a publicity stunt, but uh, hey, like you said, it got picked up by lots of media. So mm. there you go. Well, the other story we uh, which we saw, which was quite uh, an interesting one actually, quite an interesting piece of research by Mikhail Spacek. Uh, I hope I've pronounced that correctly, Mikhail. Um, which he talked about the top ten coffee brands being used as passwords. Um, this was uh, I someone upon an Instagram ad saying you should hack your morning routine uh, by drinking Nescafe, and um, he tweeted that drinking your coffee or smoothie or changing what you drink in the morning is, is not hacking, but he's right. So Dan um, ten. Uh, began to wonder how many people actually use Nescafe as their password. So he went to uh, Have I Been Pwned, which uh, Troy Hunt, we'll get onto Troy in a little moment actually, um, uh, run that website for about four or five years now. And um, how many people have learned, actually, quite a lot of people use Nescafe as their password. But also he looked at some of the coffee brands and what's the best coffee best research and how often does it use the password. So the password research, uh, based on pwned passwords, is how many times a password has been used has been seen in various password leaks. It also has an API on uh, have I been pwned. 
and there's a list of coffee brands on Wikipedia. So he merged them all together, and the top 10 coffee brand was Georgia, used 57,000 times, 531, as a password. Um, there's a lot of them. They're top 10. Starbucks, obviously well-known, 17,286. Nescafe came in fifth, 7,708. Uh, Tim Hortons, the uh, for those who listen in Canada, 1,436. And Lavazza, 1,388. Um, it's an interesting one because it goes against all common password security advice about using regular words, uh, and there's no numbers in there that according to these, these these passwords, there's no uppercase, there's no numbers or anything like that to distinguish it. But I don't think I'd ever want to use a brand name like Starbucks or Nescafe. There's also words in here like Justas, Jacobs, and Folgers. I'm presuming these more local coffee brands, but. Um, I think if you use Costa, you could just be a big football fan of uh, many players, couldn't you? Really? Yeah. <laughs> and just be using that. But yeah, interesting research actually around this. And uh, yeah, do do check this out. Michaelspacetech.com has got the full story on this. But uh, it just goes to prove when you're trying to create a password, uh, trying to find a new one's quite a different idea. Yeah, it does come back to that same old uh, the, the same old stories that we hear about password security and and people continuing to use all the techniques that they. Yeah, we're told not to not to use, um, but yeah, an interesting one to see and um, good fun actually to, to come across that. Um, okay, well we've got a few minutes left. Um, as we sit and record this podcast, we're literally on the brink of InfoSecurity Europe 2019, just a couple of days away. Um, obviously, InfoSecurity magazine will will be on on site in in full force, the full team as usual. Um, hopefully, by the time you're listening to this, uh, InfoSecurity may be up and running in full swing. Hopefully, um, just to give you a quick overview of what we'll be doing there as a team. Um, obviously, we'll be looking to to do as much coverage of the show as we can. We've got a really uh, really full, really great filming schedule. Um, on our magazine uh, stand. Um, myself and Dan will be both moderating on the uh, keynote stage and uh, Dan, you'll actually be doing something rather special on the other stages, won't you? Yeah, yeah, as well as doing the keynote, Michael and I are doing separate sessions on the Tuesday. Uh, there's also a breakfast briefing event on the Wednesday morning. And we'll be finally launching the State of Cybersecurity Report. This is the second version. This will be launched at the Talking Tactics stage, 12pm uh, on the Thursday, which is the third day of InfoSec. Um, so if you're able to come by do come by we'll be talking about some of the main um talking points of the uh of the report which we've been working on for most of this year and uh i'll actually be the report will actually be launched at the end of that so you'll be able to download it from the end of that if you're listening to this and you're not in the uk then obviously you're able to download it um also we'll be running a few video panels um these are live streamed videos we're doing about six overall i probably should have counted that before i said that (laughs) but i think it's six yeah um and um on the two o'clock on the thursday we'll be doing a live one talking about the report um michael tell us a bit about your your some of your activities at the show yeah sure so i've got some really great uh topics lined up with some really good speakers joining my panel so we're going to be taking a look at password security in 2019 so maybe that story about the coffee shops will uh, come up we're also going to be having a look back at a year of GDPR we're pretty much exactly a year of GDPR now uh, having a look at the ins and outs of what's been going on over the last 12 months and also taking a look at uh, winning the uh, security awareness battle uh, security awareness is a topic that keeps coming up a lot still seems to be a challenge for organizations so yeah having a look at where we are with that at the moment 
And maybe one more thing, of course, if you are at the show, uh, do drop by our booth. We're on N20, N for Nigel. That's right next to Geek Street and the Hammersmith Road entrance. Um, we've got lots of copies of our Q2 issue there. Uh, usually, of course, you can only get that digitally unless you're on the subscription list. But here's a chance to get a, a, um, a proper printed edition of that. So do come by and say hi. There'll be members of our team around. So, uh, yeah, if you're at Olympia and you can pay some time, do drop by. Yeah, fantastic. Well, there you are. Uh, hopefully you, you, you've, you've enjoyed this podcast. It's certainly been great fun for us to sit down and, and, re, uh, and record it for you. Um, a big thank you again to Akamai, uh, providers of intelligent threat protection that comes with over 300 security researchers. Learn more at akamai.com security. Akamai Intelligent Security starts at the edge. Uh, so a big thank you to them for sponsoring uh, this episode. Uh, without further ado, until next time, we will end it there. Welcome to Into Security. Info Security Magazine's podcast.